Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning. I'm so excited to see you all. If you are brand new, welcome to church. I don't care why you came here. I'm just glad that you can't leave. So that's, that should be one of our, one of our slogans. Uh, uh, listen, it's, it's really neat to come and explore spiritual things. I think even people who don't believe in God uh, truly have a, have, have a kind of a feeling that there's, there's something more. And so we're a safe place to explore that. And uh, we're in a series right now called Gasp. And we're talking about what it means to be inspired when you see things, when they impact you, when they, when they have an effect on you. Uh, that's a sign of inspiration. And sometimes you can be inspired in a positive way. Sometimes you can be inspired in kind of a negative way. And sometimes uh, you're, you're maybe it doesn't impact you at all, and so you would be uninspired. Uh, before I have our speaker come up today, and I'm going to introduce him in just a second, I want to give you a chance to experience all three of those things I just said, to be inspired, to be uninspired, or not to be really anything at all. You see, in a church like this one that's about to move uh, to uptown Vancouver, there's going to be lots of changes. Our next series is going to be five weeks. It'll be the last series at Kesset. It launches next week. And that series will uh, be all about those kinds of changes, all about those sorts of things that, uh, that are different simply because we're in a different part of the county, because our building there will be different, because parking will certainly be different. And so we're going to talk about all those changes and what that looks like. But I knew a change was coming that I was excited to, to pour over you, one that was going to give you a chance to feel something and perhaps be inspired, uninspired, or somewhere in the middle. And that is this change around what our building's going to look like. Now, some of you may or may not know that this last week was a dry week at down at downtown and uptown. So this area, we were able to get a lot of stuff done on our exterior. And I don't know if you realize this or if you've been a part of church for any amount of time, but every church goes through something that, that internally we call the paint wars. And this is where people start to talk about their opinions on every color, lack thereof, involved in every room and every process. If you're part of a church, you're like, oh, I remember the great paint wars of 98 we had over here. So-and-so left the church, and so-and-so came, and there was a coup, I'm pretty sure, to get that brown in, because nobody wanted it, whatever it was. And so our building is, is the same. Now, we knew because we were remodeling the exterior of the building extensively that we were going to have to paint. Not a lot of people realize that. But we have patched uh, nearly every portion of that building somewhere with the, the new addition, the, the new entrance into the basement, the way that other, different things had to hook up. We had to patch brick, fill holes, take out windows, put in new doors. And so as we did that, we knew early on that the brick itself would never match. The texture would match. They still make that style of brick. But the brick itself would never match. So if we stained it, you'd have this sort of jigsaw puzzle look all throughout the building and just left it as it is. So we knew we'd have to paint it. And so... Uh, I didn't want to make that decision because I enjoy being liked. It's kind of part of my stuff. And, uh, <laughs> so, and, so, and so we hired a firm to come in, look at our building, look at the area. They're from Vancouver to give us a couple different paint schemes. And then we chose one, uh, knowing that it would make a bunch of people really happy and a bunch of other people really unhappy and a few people right in the middle. So let me just say before I present it to you that you are spiritually and emotionally prepared for whatever happens inside your body right now. Okay, we have spent a lot of time around this topic, and uh, there's a lot more change to come. So listen, if this right here throws you off, I mean, it's not, 
it's, it's not even stepping up to the plate to try to get a, a swing. It's, it's barely batting practice. This is, this is like easy conflict, but it is conflict nonetheless. And so as a family, I want to present to you what our building downtown will look like probably by the end of next week. Wow. Well, that was better than the 9 o'clock. I only had like nine people in the nine o'clock. I think all my traditionalists are sitting there in the nine o'clock service. Mmm, painted that brick. Uh, this is the front of the building with the, uh, with the new entrance. Uh, if you want to go to the uh, next slide for me, this is the back of the building. Okay, we have a brand new roof. Uh, all the windows in the entire first and second floor are all brand new, which will be amazing for our heating and air conditioning bill, as this building had zero uh, insulation anywhere. And so we were able to add that and then obviously upgrade all the windows. And then uh, this, this is the uh, street side. Now, yeah, super snazzy, right? Now, here's what will not be complete when we move in. This large, beautiful, incredibly expensive structure right here. And I'm looking for a volunteer or two to step up and pay for that. It's going to cost $70,000. Anybody? Real quick. Just quick hand. Yep. One. No. That hand went down real fast. I think he was talking to somebody. That's a commitment, sir. That's a commitment. So uh, this will come somewhere in third or fourth phase, this idea for the bell tower. But uh, we just, we wanted to put money into things that would allow us to move in. And so, um, so yeah, so I'm excited about it. Uh, I, I like it. I think it fits really well. I think it's going to be really refreshing. And uh, I like that we did it with, uh, with local architects and people from our community. I really appreciate Julie in the back who helped us with a lot of our color schemes and especially on the inside. There's just all sorts of people helping and serving and I'm grateful. But if you don't like it, I am totally okay with that. Totally okay with that. Because there's going to be lots of stuff that Kesed does in the future that, that I think outside of holiness and bringing glory to God that you're allowed to have opinions on. And if you like it, welcome to being in a family full of people who think, see, and act different than you. So this is part of what it means to be a church uh, that, that, uh, that reaches out and that loves people. So thank you for being that church. I'm excited about it. And thank you for appreciating it. So God is good. Amen? Okay. Um, so uh, I, I'm taking a risk here at the end of this series. This is our last one in the gas series uh, to have Byron Kaler, who's going to come and share with you. And I, I think most of you know already, Byron is my therapist. Now, Byron, that's not a normal thing, I've been told, to tell people, uh, but, but I'm just, I guess, not a normal person. And so I, I love that, that he's here. I love that, uh, that you get a free session out of him. I think that's awesome, because if you count all these people, that's a lot of money he's missing out on. So <laughs> it's just, just a way to move us up in the, uh, in the uh, spiritual maturity uh, movement that we want to have as a church. And I, I love that. I love that he took time to be here with you guys. And so... Uh, let's catch you up where we are. We uh, have been kind of moving around this stages of faith. Uh, we've moved now from journey outward, which is what we did last week, to transformed into love. What does it mean now that you have this awareness? What does it mean now that you have some of these insights? What does it mean to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus? What does it mean to love people deeply? And what does it mean uh, for how you go about your daily life? These are the things that I've uh, kind of kind of a poised Byron to talk about, and these are the things that he's been praying about all week. Nine o'clock was a really special service, and I'm really, really excited to, uh, to pray for you that God just does exactly what he wants to do before he comes up. So would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we are grateful, we are thankful for the work that you have been doing in us, especially, Lord, 
the last uh, six, seven weeks or so, we are so excited to, to put some of this into practice, to, to really now feel and, and own what we feel, that to be willing to be in community and togetherness, to be willing, God, to, uh, to really be transformed into love, into who you are for this world. We are so very grateful. We just lift this time to you now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Would you please welcome to the stage Byron Kaler. Thanks, buddy. Well, due to confidentiality, I'm sure you understand I can't really confirm or deny that I'm a therapist to anyone here, um, so that you know. And I can't believe that they painted that brick, seriously? That's just me. How many of you are familiar with the word gospel? If you went to Sunday school when you were little or that kind of thing, you, you learned that word, true? And uh, that word means? It's what? Good news. good news, okay. So that word means good news. Now here's the trick question. What exactly is the good news? Let's talk a little bit about that, just for fun. And Danny said we could talk. It's okay. So when you think of the good news of the gospel, what's the good news? Jesus. I, I, he qualifies as good news. What else? You're saved and we're glad. Yes. And? The resurrection would be good news? Accepted for who we are. Wonderful. Sometimes you get a deeper understanding and appreciation for something when you look at kind of the other side of it, okay? So as I look around, many of you way too happy this morning, and so let's talk for a moment about the bad news, okay? So the good news is the gospel. We're saved. Jesus loves us. What's the bad news? That we're sinners, okay? The bad news, we got to stay there for a little bit. That we what? Thank you very much. Yes, we are separated from God, and sometimes they talk about that in Bible terms as hell. Who would say that that's kind of bad news? Okay, overall, damnation, that's what the 9 o'clock said. All right. So the bad news is that we are separated from God. Now, where exactly, remind me, did the bad news begin? All right, so thank you. So back to the garden, Adam and Eve. You remember the whole kind of problem there with the, the tree right in the middle of the garden? That's a different sermon. We'll talk about that some other time. And so um, Eve, sorry ladies, took, took the fruit, yay, gave it to poor Adam. He hadn't a clue. And, um, and so then we have this whole collapse of everything. The result of that was that 
people became separated. That's the bad news. That's particularly bad news when you think about the fact that we are made, we are created for relationship. And now all of a sudden, we are separated. But don't narrow that to just separated from God. What else were we separated from? Each other, even ourselves. Notice what happens right away. Eve kind of, you know, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Everybody's blaming somebody, okay? Adam's blaming God for even putting, you know, giving him Eve. Uh, that created probably some marital tension. And so everybody's blaming everybody, and there is this sense of alienation even from ourselves. Do you see that? And it's visible. We see it in the garden in a particular way. Remember? God shows up. He's walking around the garden. He can see something has changed because... And how are they hiding? So Eve steps out, okay, with a new outfit. First woman to ever ask her husband, what do you think? Okay. Now this is not in the Bible, but I suspect Adam said, I really like the old outfit, actually. Okay. So, that, remember that's not in the Bible, all right? You're going to quote me on that. And so now, all of a sudden, they are covering up. We as humanity, now this part won't be so funny, begin to hide from each other. We don't want to be seen. We don't want to be known. It's too vulnerable. It's too scary. We're hiding. Think that happens? So the bad news is that we are separated from God, from ourselves, from one another, and we hide and protect. That's really bad news. Starting to feel depressed? Okay. My caseload's big enough already, I don't. Now, sounds like you're ready for some good news. All right. So, see how the good news is really good when you compare it with the bad news? And so, here we are, separated from everything that we are intended to be connected to. And then we have good news. And the good news is the gospel. That Jesus has brought reconciliation and connection once again. Good news? Uh, amen. All right. Now, here's the problem with that. The church, not this one, but other folks, okay? The church cries out to a world that is hungry for that message. They're desperate that relationships would work again. And the church cries out and says, we've got good news. Good news, everybody. Everybody's excited. Relationships work again. That's the good news of the gospel. Relationships work again. And then we say, just take a look at my um, mar no, well, my child um, 
Take a look at my no. Look at uh, my church government. Okay, just look at the bumper sticker on my car. Okay, <laughs> relationships work again. Isn't that exciting and good news? You see, the world wants to see it, don't they? Okay, they're hungry to know and to recognize that there is good news. Danny pointed out that you've been working through some stages of faith as it relates to emotional health. The gentleman who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scazzaro, puts it this way, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That's why it's important. You see, folks, feeling, feeling is the price of admission to engaging with God in a real and authentic way and joining him in what he is doing in our world. We're called to love him with all of our hearts. And when our hearts are shut off, that makes it very, very difficult. I'll tell you, if I were the devil, and I'm not, okay? If I were the devil, the best thing I could do to hurt God and his people would be to hurt children. Because when we hurt children, something very, very tragic happens. In Matthew 18, we're told, unless you become like little children, you will never understand and enter into the kingdom of heaven. And some of us couldn't wait to get out of hot childhood, could we? And he's calling us back to that very place of childlikeness. Now, I want you to notice something about an important word there. And that word is unless. Does that sound like a, just kind of a mild suggestion? Or does that sound more optional? Or does that sound kind of like an expectation? Yeah. Unless you become childlike, it's really, really difficult. And what happens when we're hurt as children is that we begin to lose that childlikeness that we are born with. What are children like? Let's just review that very quickly. Children, you know, in their best moments, okay? <laughs> So, so moms, you might want to let dad speak to this for just a moment, okay? So what are children like in their very best moments? Curious. Silly. Love, lovable and loving, genuine. Vulnerable, thank you very much. That was dangerous. All right, open, transparent, gullible, curious, playful. Trusting. Notice how many of those have to do with feelings? Mm -hmm. So unless we become 
like little children again. Participating in the kingdom can feel really confusing, difficult. Because as children, we're open, and as adults, we tend to lose that. When we're hurt as children, we learn a crushing lesson about feelings. This is why they're so important. Think of feelings on a continuum. From one end, sometimes what we call bad feelings, all the way over to good feelings. So on this end of the continuum right down here, so think of this whole stage like big drapes right there. So on this end, we'd have feelings like um, humiliation, shame, loneliness, hurt, um, injury, some of those feelings that we don't like very much. On this end of the continuum down here, we have the good stuff, okay? Acceptance, feeling worthy, feeling good, belonging, intimate, connected. Now, if you're growing up in an environment that's hostile or difficult or scary, as many children do, which of those two ends of the continuum you think you feel most frequently? You, now I'm going to meddle for just a minute. I know you didn't come to church to have that happen, but I'm just a visitor. <laughs> okay. And so, if you were to guess which end of this continuum the feelings that you felt most often as a child. How many? Okay, because there's two of you over here. Okay, and we're glad that you're here with us. <clears throat> but lots of us ended up on this end of the continuum. Shake your heads. All right, where you felt this way too much. That makes sense? All right. And then you did what any smart kid would do you kind of reached around and fumbled for the drapery cord and you gave the curtains a little bit of a tug and sure enough they began to close right up over all those feelings that didn't feel very good. But here's what you didn't know. That drapes operate a particular way, don't they? Because when this starts to close and you felt relief, these began to close and that's the wife saying, I just wish he would open up. I just, I want him to, I want to be able to love him and know him and all of that. And so then, by the time we reach adulthood, oftentimes the curtains are closed and all we see is about this much peeking through. And here's what it sounds like. How are you doing today? Fine. <laughs> How was yesterday? All right. What do you think tomorrow's going to be like? Okay, and we just live in this very narrow band because that's where it's become safe. That's where it feels comfortable. And now Jesus enters in and he says, unless you open the curtains, you're not going to experience me like you're intended to in all of my love and grandeur towards you and your love and care for one another. Feeling is the price of admission. 
We learn to hide just like they did in the garden. We cover ourselves with fig leaves. That's the impact of sin in our lives. We're separated and we hide from one another. God's desire, you guys, this morning is to take us back to the first days of the garden before we learned to get away and to hide, to be available, to be seen, to be known, to be naked and unashamed so that we can truly know him. Augustine said it this way, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know you. Over the centuries, we've kind of separated those things out, believing that we could know God without really loving his people or being connected in any meaningful way to other folks. I grew up in church. I can remember attending church before I could walk. Mom just carried me in. I went on to Bible college because that's what good church boys do. And then I went on to teach at a Bible college for 25 years because that's what grown good men do. Much of that time I was taught what God wanted most from me was for me to basically behave. To do the right things, to obey, to pray, to avoid the wrong things. And I suspect that I am not alone in that. Does that sound familiar to anyone else? Stay away from the bad stuff, do the good stuff, and God's going to be happy with you. And if you do the bad stuff, then God's going to kind of find a way to thump on you and punish you. That sound, some of you are breaking out in a rash right now. <laughs> All right. So that does sound familiar? Yeah. Obey, pray, study, do the right things, avoid the wrong things, practice personal piety, purity, holiness, be set apart, be different. Righteousness was about following the rules. Don't cuss, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. <laughs> That's what I learned. Now hear me, I believe that many of those things are still important. I'm not discounting those. But I think that they are important this morning for a different reason than I used to. Not to make God happy, but to actually make us happier. That by learning to love as he's loved us, we create a world that we actually want to live in. A world that is run by hearts that love and care for one another. The reason that I believe that that is because um, actually that's what Jesus taught and lived. <laughs> His ministry was a ministry of love. I think that's what got him crucified. He was caught loving all of the wrong people. The wrong people. 
the untouchables, the disenfranchised, the left out, the broken, the cast aside, the marginalized. He got caught loving people like you and I. Think of the stories of the gospel that we frequently tell and that we hear sermon after sermon about. Zacchaeus, the tax collector in the margins. The woman at the well, too many husbands. The prodigal son couldn't wait for his inheritance. The lepers, the good Samaritan, the woman caught in adultery. Where was the man in that? Do you, do you, do you, ladies, he never showed up. That's another message as well. He is touching all of the wrong things, all of the wrong people. He's loving on them in ways that weren't accepted well in his time. Those people became his early followers, and that challenged and threatened the religious people of his time, and it still does. When Jesus explained his job description, why he was here, what he was all about, he was handed a uh, scroll of Isaiah, and he found a particular place to read from. I want to read from that, if I can, um, this morning, with you understanding this is his job description. I'm not making it up. He's actually saying it. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm about. Now he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place. So he, he chooses his passage. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Notice what you're hearing. That's his job description. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Isn't that fascinating? And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, probably the poor people for sure, and they were amazed, and then notice what it says next, at the gracious words that came from his lips. Good news, the gracious words. Now what you may not know about that passage is that that passage comes from... Um, a certain area of Isaiah that has particular relevancy for us today. So with your permission, I'd like for us to peek at that just real quickly if we could as well. Think we could do that? Isaiah, if you have your Bibles, you could check because sometimes I just make stuff up. Um, <laughs> it's in chapter 58. And I want you to notice how it begins. This is from the prophet Isaiah. He's describing the religious people of his day. So I don't want you to miss that. He's describing us, the church. 
They're busy, busy, busy at worship. And they love studying all about me. That's pretty nice stuff. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people. They're law-abiding. They're God-honoring. That's pretty good stuff. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And they love having me on their side. Well, that's pretty good stuff, too. Seems like these are good folks. You, what is that? What are you laughing about? Okay? Like, I want you to see. These are folks that are fasting. They're praying. They're tithing. They're worried about what God says. They're studying all the time. These people get up early in devotions in the morning. They never miss church. These are good folks. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? And why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Hmm. And then the next verse says this. Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time you bicker and you fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of the fast day I'm after, a day to show off how pious and humble you are, put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? That's rhetorical, okay? This is the fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, to cancel debts. I'm interested in seeing you do this. Share your food with the hungry. Invite the homeless poor into your homes. Put clothes on the shivering ill-clad. And for crying out loud, be available to your own families. Crying out loud, I added that part. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry, start giving yourselves to the down and out. You notice what just happened there? You guys, God canceled church. Apologies to the worship team. Okay? He said, that's not what's most important. All of those wonderful things that you are doing. It's getting really quiet and uncomfortable in here, isn't it? Because what he's saying is that when you don't love others well, it's kind of like a ringing bell over here. I think that they say that a little bit. Uh, uh, gong and... 1 Corinthians 13, it's when you aren't loving one another, you're missing the highest priority. Can you believe that there would be something God would say is more important than worshiping him? I'm not making this up. It's right there. We read it. 
And it's the same thing in the New Testament. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's the Old Testament. We probably don't have to love in the New. Okay? And I'm just saying, actually, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you've offended people, don't go to worship. Okay? Run out there and reconcile with them. Leave your gift at the altar of belief. He's setting the same priority. It's consistent all the way through the book, you guys. He's looking for us to love people well. This passage seems really relevant today for us in our culture. You probably haven't noticed this, but we live in a fairly divided world. God is calling his people, make no mistake, my friends, he is calling his people to love people well around us in every circumstance and every person. Black, white, brown, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, red, blue, those we agree with and those we disagree with, those that are like us and those that are not like us, those who worship like us and those who don't, those who see God the same way as we do and those who don't. His message is consistent and it is clear. We are to love his children like he does. Today in our culture, we're distracted by too many things. Doing it right, knowing the answers, being on the right side of an issue without loving the person who's sitting right across from us. Someone was talking to me recently about how is it again that we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world? I'm telling you this morning, that's how. We are to incarnate God. That is, when people have met us, they have met him. In the upper room, in Jesus' last teaching, before his death. He tells his disciples a new commandment I'm giving to you. Love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another by this, by this, not by offerings, not by how many scriptures you have memorized, not by how moral you are, not by how many sins you haven't committed, He's saying, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If you care for one another in a way that the world can't explain. They will see him in the gaps between us. how we behave, 
when the behaving is difficult. How we love, even when we're hurting and struggling. What does God want from us? Well, back to the garden. You remember what happened after uh, they got pushed out of the garden? Somebody did something bad to somebody else. Remember those two guys? Okay, Adam and Eve's kids got passed down along. And Cain kills Abel. Sound familiar? And what does he say to God in that moment? That's exactly what he says. Am I my brother's keeper? And what's God's answer to that? A resounding and an absolute yes, we are our brother's keeper. We bear each other's burdens. We get into the hard places. You see, when God cancels church here, he's not saying that the things that they were doing were wrong. He's just saying that they're not the highest priority. Because God is working at reconciling the world to himself, and he wants you and I to be part of that process. That's his mission. Is that they would experience love from us in the way, same way that we've experienced love from him. We are his body now. And that's most shown in the times that we probably disagree with each other. It's that whole paint war thing. I want you to understand something about this. This isn't simply another list of things that you and I must do. It's not a doing to be right with God, but a doing that aligns with God in his mission in our world. It's a doing that's born out of a love that sees people like God sees people. It grows out of a feeling about people like he feels about them. This love acts with sacrifice for people just like Jesus does. We defend those who find themselves in difficult places. We can only do this if we feel. He wants to grow us up. He wants to transform us into love that we would incarnate him in the world. But I'll tell you a secret just quickly. And we're going to probably go over. We're probably going to go until one or two, maybe even. Um, here, here's a secret. We prefer rules. As impossible as it is for us to be righteous by the rules, and we know that it is, we prefer those at times because they're concrete. They're easy to measure people by and measure ourselves by, and we like that. Some days we can feel kind of proud of how we've done. Other days, not so much. But following rules is a lot easier 
than loving people deeply and well. That's, that's a project that never ends. We never finish it up, do you see? And that's what we're called to do, to be his hands and feet in loving a world that is hungry for that. I have a sister. She is probably the most loving person I know. She is selfless, giving, generous. She isn't insecure at all. It's actually annoying. Okay? She moves through the world in such a way that it's infectious. Like I've been, I, I can't make this up, I've been sitting at table ha at a restaurant eating lunch and people will come over to our table and talk about how sweet she is. Strangers, okay? It's bizarre. She has no pre-qualifications for who she loves and how she loves. She doesn't care about who you voted for, how much money you make, whether you've got your makeup on that day, what car you drive. Those things don't matter to her at all. She's 10 years younger than I am. And this is awkward to say, but all growing up with her, I had this sense that somehow she knew things that I hadn't quite figured out yet. Like, how can she be younger than me and smarter at the same time? You're probably thinking, shoot, we should have had her come and preach. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking that myself right now. You see, my sister has never lost her childlikeness. Her name's Angela, by the way. We call her Angel, short. And she's Down syndrome. She has never lost her childlikeness. She loves people without exception. She leans into humanity in exactly the way that God calls us to live. I understand that what I'm inviting us to participate in, loving the world in that way, is scary. To be open, to be vulnerable, to be transparent, to love recklessly and with abandon. I know that's scary. But my friends, that's exactly what he has called us to do. And in those moments, the world will recognize that he is alive and well and living among his people. And isn't that what we want? To join with him in reconciling his creation back to himself. 
I'm going to close this morning with a video clip, and I'm going to tell you just a word about it. It's a social experiment. It's a video clip of people sitting across from one another and doing nothing more than making eye contact. It happened all around the world. You're even going to see a little Portland in there. And I want you to notice how people respond when they are seen. Simply when they are seen opens the door to them being able to be known and for us to have the opportunity to love well. It's been a treat to share with you again and I look forward to uh, another opportunity. Watch the video of how people respond when they're seen.